Okay, hello everyone. This is Representative Dan Miller. Thank you for joining us to On the Table, our our podcast. Of course, we're very glad to to have you join us and be with us today. And we're going to be talking about our Disability and Mental Health Summit that is coming up on May 11th. Um, this, of course, is our you know my favorite event that we do. Uh, we're very excited. We've been doing it. This is our 10th year. Uh, we're back at the Bethel Congregation, right across the border from Mount Lebanon and Scott. Uh, they are a fantastic host for us great uh, group of people who are so supportive of providing disability and mental health resources. So we're glad to be there. And you can find more information about our program on disabilitysummit.com. But today we're going to be talking with a longtime friend of our office who's been, I want to say he's probably been there, I think, at every one of the summits, but we we appreciate him. He works very hard. Uh, it's Patrick D'Amico, who's the executive director of the Provider Alliance. Patrick, thanks for joining us. How are you doing, my friend? Well, thank you, Representative Miller. I am doing great today. Thanks for having me. And before we get started, why don't you tell us what is the Provider Alliance so people know what we're talking about? Well, the Provider Alliance is a provider association. Um, we are based in the greater Pittsburgh area. Um, we represent about 95 service providers across the state. Uh, we also represent um, supports coordination organizations, healthcare quality units, uh, the administrative entities who are basically the counties. And we also have a lot of business partners uh, in our associate membership, people that help run their organizations more efficiently. So all told, we have about 120, 125 members right now. Um, and we represent organizations from all across Pennsylvania, as I said, but uh, our meetings and we really started off years and years ago, um, having meetings in the Pittsburgh area, and we've, we've kind of grown from there. So I'm yeah. um, happy to be here today and you know, happy to represent our members. Well, you know, look, we're glad to have you. You've always been a good um, you know, resource for us as we talk and learn about disability issues in particular um, and sort of system needs. Um, at the summit, of course, we're going to be digging into a variety of both mental health and disability topics. But I wanted to pause um, in the past. We've all, well, to be honest, I think most years we're always concerned about some of the system problems, uh, struggles that some, um, especially some of our our, our providers locally, but statewide, run into with being able to uh, complete their missions, right? Uh, to be able to support their staff and and to serve their clientele in a way that they want to, um, and and uh, and that's been an ongoing concern. So um, you know, perhaps maybe you can give us a little um, a little bit of an intro to the challenge of kind of keeping DSPs in the game, what work they do, and how integral they are to the disability community as a whole. Yeah, thank you. They are absolutely essential. So uh, you know, this is a community system, supports about 60,000 people across Pennsylvania with intellectual disability and autism. Of course, um, the people, but also their families, because their families provide a lot of support. So families need the help so that they can go do their jobs and they can live their lives and they need the help supporting their loved ones. So uh, it's a very difficult job in that it really entails everything, all the essential needs that a person uh, might have, want and need. Um, so we're help, helping people with chronic medical conditions. We're helping people in terms of their mental health. Uh, we're helping people with basic needs, um, direct support professionals, pass medications, administer medications and help people go to their appointments. And they just do everything really so people can help live healthy, productive, happy lives. So um, it's a 24 seven job. Of course, it depends upon what people need 
in terms of their disabilities. A lot of people are very capable of doing things quite independently, and we always promote choice and independence and try to help people. But of course, uh, the reality is that people need help, and it takes direct support professionals to do that. So to support 60,000 people in the community, you know, we, we always like to say the workforce ought to be around 55 to 60,000 people, employees, to help support those folks. And people are in a variety of settings from residential homes, uh, facilities where they need a little bit more physical care and support, people who live on their own, people who live with their families in their family home, and people really pretty much of all ages. So, you know, when you have that scale of a system and you have those responsibilities and you have a workforce that is really depleted right now um, and, and under there's an underinvestment in terms of workforce. So right now there's you know at least a quarter of positions that are vacant at any given time. So we've right. had several well, recent studies that really indicate that. Well, let, let's take a pause here too and, and slow down just for a moment. Um, you know, obviously what we're what we're also talking about is a change in how um, you know, sort of care where care is provided. Over the last 40 years in particular, there's been obviously much more of an effort to um, to not have people be in sort of distant institutions, um, you know, facilities to which are far from their homes and their families, to bring more people um, and to keep more people in their communities uh, close by their there are other supports uh, that are there, um, but in order for that system to work, of course, you do need those committed workers, those DSPs, to be there, like you said, 24/7. But to, but it requires travel to locations. It requires, you know, sort of uh, in order for that integration to happen, you need people who can get around the community. This model here uh, of of more inclusion uh, does carry with it some perhaps greater challenges than the more traditional institutionalized everybody of years past, no? Absolutely, you know, you're absolutely right, Dan. If you look at you know, state centers, you know, two of which are in the process of, of closing right now. Um, but if you look at people just went to one of those at one time, I believe five state centers, a couple of them are closing, you know, everything's right on site. So they have a medical director, they have a doctor, they have nurses, they, they have staffing and it's out, you know, kind of in, in the middle of a, a very, um, distant setting apart from society and the community. It's really not reliant on the community. It's kind of a community unto itself. Everything is brought into the person. And you know, that's a model that just really is not something that anybody kind of agrees with as the, the proper way to support folks. You know, there's a whole community available. And with that, it takes added challenges to help get folks to interact and be supportive of that community. Of course, you know, there, there's a social aspect to it being an advocate for people so that you can help them be accepted in the community. I think that the work entailed is very independent. So direct support professional doesn't have somebody to turn to with everything that they do. You know, we have to rely upon them to use good judgment in the moment, help protect people's lives and help support them and help them be independent. So I think it's much more complex to your point right. to support people in the community. Of course, that's where we want folks to be. And we believe that's where people want to be and we believe that's where all of us can be more successful. You know, we, we want to interact with others and, you know, we want to be part of a social network and we want to take advantage of things that are there for everybody, not to build separate systems and silos and say, this is for you because you happen to have you know, this or this or that label, unfortunately. Wow. So it, it makes for integration, not just for people 
to integrate with each other, but also for systems. So we're talking about therapy and medical care and all kinds of different things that we all need. Um, and it can be a greater challenge oftentimes for people with intellectual disability and autism. Right. And, and I don't want to act, of course, we, I know that there isn't some fantastic work that is done uh, in the state centers. I know there are some very committed workers there as well. And there are a spectrum of challenges that we can talk about, but we know the majority of people um, with uh, intellectual disabilities and autism who qualify for these services are, of course, they're, they're at home. They're at home either um, you know, where their home is in a group home facility, or a lot of them too are on waiting lists trying to, to get uh, into, um, you know, sort of, uh, I'll say more permanent uh, and as independent as possible settings. But there still is a lot of people who are waiting. They're waiting for help. They're waiting for promises to be, to be kept. And I think that's where some of this comes up. And we're a state that is um, sort of still dealing with um, not being able to um, we're not funding the system as it should be to get more people off these waiting lists. But now we're also dealing with the fact that there's not enough staff to even address more people coming off the waiting list. So we're kind of uh, having problems from both sides of the issue, right? Yeah, we are. You're absolutely correct. Um, I think the last count from a waiting list campaign, the numbers that they maintain, 12,400 people waiting for services on the waiting list, 5,400 of those classified as emergency, meaning that they're at imminent risk or danger um, and need support right now. Um, and the workforce has been kind of diminishing. And I think you're right suggesting it's a demographic issue as much as everything else. Um, but when we look right now to the job responsibilities I was describing and the rate of pay, you know, even with recent um, fee adjustments that they haven't kept pace with inflation, but they were certainly a help. You know, we're, we're looking at an average wage that is, you know, between $16.50, uh, closer to $17 an hour, but that's less than you can make in working in retail or in fast food or other places right now. And if people have a choice for the very responsibility, you know, the responsibilities, it's a very demanding job, it's a very rewarding job. But there's a lot that goes with it. You know, it's very involved. You're working on all shifts. You know, you're right. working independently many times. You know, our, our organizations are giving as much support as they possibly can. But the, the DSPs who are there um, are overwhelmed with the amount of work because there's not enough of them to split that workload. So, well, it, and it, that's it's, it's kind of an interesting debate too, Patrick. I mean, it's it's you know either we figure out how this system can attract workers and sustain, because we need sustainability, you know, in, in we don't need high turnover rates in this world, right? So either we figure out where that dollar point is that keeps it that way, or one has to question whether or not this, this, this system that we're trying to uh, keep afloat actually can exist as we go forward, no? No, you're right. And, you know, I want to take a moment to thank you for your support of what we're doing in our advocacy and particularly for your support of the market index bill and our led, our requested amount for funding in this year's budget is completely based on inflation. So, you know, we, we believe we have the right arguments to say that it's to the point of, uh, that you're making that our rates haven't kept pace with inflation and inflation since the rates were put into effect went up last year, 6.5%. You know, they're almost up another point in the first quarter of this year. So you know, we've made an argument that when the rates were put into, a play, into place, they were probably short of where they needed to be, again, just based on inflation, by over 
So we've been saying we're probably at least 12.5% behind inflation right now. So the starting point, just help us pay workers competitively. And then we can see where we are in terms of the system. Completely agree. Sustainability is a long-term goal. We're talking about services that are lifelong. People come into the system. We have to build a system that is prepared to support them for their lifetimes. And uh, you mentioned turnover rate. You know, the recent statistics show turnover rate at 37% annual turnover rate. So we're talking about somebody that comes into service, needs it their entire life, probably decades, and the workforce is turning over 38% of it every year. It doesn't lead toward system sustainability for the quality of life of that individual. Um, it, it takes some time working together. And I think you know anyone will tell any of us that. You know, it's a story we hear all the time. You can't have a revolving door of a system that can be really of high quality and deliver what now, we look. These relationships are, are the DSPs fill so many functions, right? Um, and they they are intimate, uh, Justin, um, their, uh, their familiarity and, and the friendship that often is hand in hand with this type of work. You know, look, the, the reality for us here is that um, this public-private partnership is based on the state uh, making sure that there is funding uh, in place and that there are workers who believe that they can sustain themselves and their families in a career that's meaningful. You take away either one of those things, I don't even know they can coexist without each other or exist without each other. So while we have this uh, gap right now in between what is a suggested line item and where your organization uh, believes we need to be, let's take one little look to the future. If this gap maintains itself, uh, meaning that the budget remains in the in the line items uh, that it's currently suggested. What is your idea as to what will happen uh, in with this industry? Well, I think what will happen is what is already happening now, you know, only to a greater degree. Um, you know, we've been saying this again because of you know, you know, our budgetary ask, and, and I should say, you know, we we've developed that collectively. Uh, TPA, the Provider Alliance, has worked with the Arc of Pennsylvania, the Alliance of Community Service Providers, Max Association, PAR, RCPA. These are all provider associations and beyond. You know, the Arc of Pennsylvania supports families, individuals. You know, we're, we're very pleased to be aligned in, in jointly advocating for the amount of money that we believe that we need in the budget, which is 430 million state dollars. Fortunately, there's federal matching dollars that because we're a Medicaid-funded system, uh, we draw down federal matching dollars for this too. So you know, the, the state gets to share the burden with the federal government. But you know, when you look at where are we declining services, um, thousands of people lost services during the pandemic. And you know, as I, as I think I heard you comment the other day, uh, you know, we don't know where we want to go back to pre-pandemic. It's a different world now, so we have to look ahead to where are we today and how can we build things. If we don't get the four hundred and thirty million dollars. Um, which again comes from you know, inflation that was not put into the rates where we have fallen behind. You know, we are seeing thousands of people who can no longer get services. We've talked about the waiting list. You know, we're, all, we're now talking a lot about the waiting list within a waiting list. People that get off the waiting list, there's always a budget appropriation. Folks come off the waiting list, but there's nobody to serve them because there are not DSPs. And without DSPs, we don't have a community system because that's who we rely upon. You know, 70 to 80% of any organization is, is dedicated, their, their costs go to DSPs to deliver those services. So 
Um, where are we? We just see a continual decline. And, you know, we can look at it system-wide statistically and look at numbers grow. But every time that happens, that's somebody that's not getting service anymore, or at least not, is not getting an essential part of service that's critical to them living their lives. So you're talking about more and more people every day. And, you know, I like to say that, yeah. you know, we're now on a fixed income from a single payer. And every day that inflation rises, we fall farther behind. And, you know, our fees are set to remain in effect for three years. Um, we've just gone through the first year, and we're talking about, unless something is done, two more years at this flat funding from a single-payer system. I, I just don't think that we can sustain that, Dan. I think that we're in a position where you're already seeing the decline of thousands. You know, Our members tell us every day their struggles to find workers, the strain on the people who are doing the work. And I know you've heard some of these folks recently talk about the love of their jobs, loving what they do. Um, either through stress or through financial reasons. Um, they just can't continue to do that. And every time someone walks away from this field, um, somebody suffers from that. You know, the person delivering the care is, is suffering to do that. We have to support wow. them better. Um, we have to build a workforce. Um, we have to build a sustainable system around them as well. I believe there's many things that we can do and talk about. But right now in a workforce and a system that is in decline, it's hard to pivot to some new model that will not fix anything immediately. Well, and look, you you referenced, uh, you know, uh, what I had said regarding uh, pre-pandemic, uh, and it's very true. Um, you know, there, the pre-pandemic was not the promised land uh, in this issue. We were still talking about the same concerns, and post-pandemic has only heightened those concerns. Um, and, and as we look forward, uh, there's nothing right now that suggests uh, that we will soon be turning the corner uh, and that's what we have to uh, address. And that's where Harrisburg in particular has that responsibility to make sure that promises are kept. This isn't, we aren't talking new programs. It's keeping your word about promises previously made to individuals and to their supportive families, many of which are waiting and struggling to hold on, looking for that help to be provided. And so many DSPs who are stretched thin, trying to stay in a field to which they care about, but finding it more and more difficult to do so. Uh, look, that's um, Patrick, I'm gonna tell you right now, I think we uplifted a lot of positivity today. I think people are excited. Um, <laughs> so look, these are these are big issues. Uh, and, and this is what we try to talk about a bit during our Disability and Mental Health Summit in our run-up. Um, and uh, these are not easy to solve, uh, but there's a human story in so much of the disability and mental health world that we have to keep coming back to keep up uplifting and keep making sure that our state is a place where every Pennsylvanian is welcome, supported, um, and, and can live here uh, with dignity and can work here in dignity as well. So I wanna thank our guest today, Patrick D'Amico, who's the executive director of the Provider Alliance, joining us to give us a little bit of a primer and a discussion into an important issue, um, some of which we anticipate touching on. Again, our Disability Mental Health Summit is coming up on May 11th. Uh, at the Bethel Congregation. You can find more information and reserve your spot uh, at disabilitysummit.com. Patrick, my friend, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. Thank you so much, Representative Miller, and for the partnership and collaboration you've allowed us to have with you at the summit with our members coming out as well. We're going to support that and come out as big as we can, and we really appreciate the opportunity to work with you there. Look forward to the summit. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it, my friend. Thank you, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next time on On the Table.